Welcome to the Balanced Black Girl Podcast. We're putting black girl magic in motion. This show is dedicated to reinventing wellness for women of color. I'm your host, Lestrandra Alfred. Thank you so much for joining me for another week of the Balanced Black Girl Podcast. I am so happy to have you here. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to share a few announcements with you along with the review of the week. So this week's review says, thank you for the motivation. I'm a 40-something black woman searching for motivation to become a more healthy, fit individual. I decided to search for podcasts on nutrition and stumbled upon Balanced Black Girl. I'm three episodes in and I'm already setting my goals and writing out my workout for my next trip to the gym. Thanks, Les. Well, thank you for this amazing review. And I am so humbled, honored, and inspired that listening to the podcast inspired you to really tackle your wellness goals. That is completely the goal of the show. And I am just so, so happy that the show helped you with that. So if you have not yet left a review for Balanced Black Girl on iTunes, please do. It's what really, really helps our show grow. Just like that reviewer was able to find the show by searching, it's really your reviews that make us pop up in search reviews. And so I really, really appreciate you taking the time to do that. And the feedback for the show is incredibly, incredibly helpful. Additionally, if you have not yet seen, we actually have our very first piece of Balanced Black Girl merch, which is our The Tea is Hot Today mug. If you have followed me on social media for any amount of time, you know that I love my warm beverages. I am a tea girl. I am a coffee girl. I am a matcha girl. I am constantly drinking warm bevies. I actually hate that I just said the word bevies right now. It's not my favorite word. I don't know where that came from. We're just going to go with it. But I created a Balanced Black Girl mug. So if you love hot beverages as much as I do, uh, please, please grab a mug. It is a really helpful way to support the show, to support the Balanced Black Girl brand. And if you would like to see more merch in the future, hit me up. Let me know. And I would be happy to make it happen. Additionally, if you're not yet subscribed to the Balanced Black Girl newsletter, please make sure you do that. We will have that linked in the show notes for you. You can go to balanceblackgirl.com slash subscribe, and that is where you really become a part of the Balanced Black Girl Insiders Club. So you get first dibs on new content, first dibs on new episodes of the podcast, as well as helpful, curated, diverse wellness content in your inbox weekly. So this week's episode is just wonderful. I loved this interview. Our guest today is Nakenji Clark. Nakenji Clark is a Bronx, New York native pursuing her calling in the field of counseling. She's an HBCU graduate from Spelman College, and it was there that she fully embraced her purpose and connected it to her passion of working with youth and women in black communities. She's committed to service and understands the importance of eradicating mental health stigma in the black community. She pursued her graduate degree in counselor education and is now a nationally certified counselor with a professional school counseling certification. And at the present moment, her purpose has her working with middle schoolers in New York City, where she works with them to learn mindfulness tools and increase their self-awareness identity. She promotes the importance of self-care through the eight dimensions of wellness in both her personal and professional life. And she's working hard towards creating more spaces for black and brown youth and women through education. And 
This was such a fun conversation because as you'll hear in the episode how Nikenji and I got connected and how this episode came to be, I basically stumbled upon her work and her talking about her work on social media. I loved that her focus was helping black and brown youth and women focus on mindfulness and really creating a foundation of mindfulness for people who usually are not reached when it comes to that messaging and just the power of helping young people understand mindfulness from such a young age is incredible and is something that we dive a lot into in this episode. But even if you're not a middle schooler, even if you don't have a middle schooler in your life, I guarantee that you will walk away from this episode feeling inspired, feeling ready to implement more mindfulness techniques in your life. And if you do have a young person in your life, you will definitely get some great, great insights for ways to help them start to implement mindfulness in their own lives as well. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. So welcome to the show, Nikenji. I'm so excited to have you here today. Hi, Les. I'm super excited. I'm so thankful that we were able to connect. Yes. So for listeners, just as for a little bit of background, Nikenji and I actually connected on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. I don't I don't know how I think someone I follow liked a tweet that you posted about the work that you do with youth. And Mm -hmm. I immediately responded and was like, can you come on my podcast? Because that's exactly what I've been wanting to talk to somebody about. (laughs) That's literally what happened. I'm like, we don't follow each other. But, you know, the algorithm was doing what it needed to do in that perfect moment. Exactly. So can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you do? Absolutely. So just me overall, I am a very purpose driven person. Um, I definitely flow into all of my passions. I try to do everything with love, um, even on the hard days. Um, I am an educator, a counselor educator, but I'm currently working as a school counselor in um, New York City, working with middle school students. Um, I usually work with them with various, using various mindfulness tools. And um, a good amount of my students do have trauma or have experienced trauma. So I do a lot of crisis intervention and like solution-focused counseling. Um, (laughs) And I'm part of the school culture team at my school. So everything we do in the counseling department kind of works with the dynamics that we want to see in the school, the positive changes, um, a very restorative focus, so to speak. Um, before this, I've been working with students who are about six months old, all the way up to college age. So I've definitely seen the whole spectrum (laughs) and I've fallen in love with the school and clinical setting of counseling. Um, even though I'm a school counselor right now, I definitely see myself flowing in other areas. Um, and my main goal is just to fight mental health stigma, especially in the black community. And I'm doing that now by working towards bridging the education gap Um, because we do know studies show that students in the urban schools versus, for example, um, white students in suburban schools have a different um, experience. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my work is geared toward uh, outside of school counseling. It's geared toward Black women and youth and just that kind of 
importance of lifting up the community because if we don't do it who will (laughs) yes and my background I got my bachelor's in psychology from Spelman College which is an HBCU the all-women's college and I can honestly say that is where uh, I discovered my purpose Mm. and realized that uh, my joy is so important and I must protect it at all costs um And the unity that's there, and it was a safe space for me because every student has a different experience, but it was a safe space for me. I was able to bond with my sisters and learn more about myself. And then straight out of undergrad, I went into grad school um, and got my master's in education and consular education from Penn State University. And that was a PWI, so a predominantly white institution. And it was different. Um, I definitely appreciate the... The process, however, the concept of self-care was really introdu- introduced there uh, yeah. because the space was different and it didn't always feel like a safe space. So I had to create a safe space within myself and within um, the people I decided to connect with and the organizations I decided to work with. Um, and I think taking those skills and those lessons with me everywhere I go is just super important. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. So you said so many things there. One, that I'm excited to quote you for. Two, that I think are just such important topics to to touch on. You were talking about your time at Spelman and how that was where you really discovered the importance of your joy, which is incredibly important. And then you also touched on your experience at Penn State being at a PWI, which I went to a PWI for my undergrad So I can definitely relate to that. However, I'm sure just the stark contrast there between first spending four years somewhere that feels like an incredibly Mm -hmm. safe space to all of a sudden a PWI, Mm -hmm. I'm sure is like a huge contrast that that was where you really discovered the need for self-care and the need for creating your own safe space. So important. So important. So kind of going back to what you were saying about stigmas in the black community Mm -hmm. when it comes to mental health. I I would love to talk about that a little bit more because I do think that that stigma is really prevalent. Why do you think it exists? Why do you think it persists? And what can we do to change that? Absolutely, absolutely. I do think that working with young people, a lot of it is learned, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to unlearn so much. And it's just like, why not start young? Um, That's why I do primarily work with youth, because you can start young. A lot of it is fear. So a fear of breaking cycles, whether the cycles are learned from home or like, you know, the systematic and the institutional racism that um, black people do face. A lot of it is unbreaking, unbreaking those cycles, because if you have to do that, then you have to be honest with yourself. You have to be honest about which you're responsible for when it comes to your own pain and then what you're responsible for to change that. And that's uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable to do something different, Mm -hmm. even if it's dysfunction that you're used to, to break that and say, you know what, I'm going to stop doing this or I'm going to stop blowing up when I'm angry or I'm going to stop coping using, you know, other things that are not healthy. 
that's not easy. And to expect people to just jump and do it overnight, it's a process. And that's why, you know, mental health and counseling is super important. Um, also, there's a lot of stereotypes. When you open up, sometimes you're not seen as strong anymore. When, um, you know, for example, boys are crying, I let my boys know in the school that I work with, it's okay, let yeah. it out. And we're working mm-hmm. through it together. Um, for girls, some of the stereotypes, you know, they think, especially when they're getting into quote unquote relationships, <laughs> they think, you know, I'm supposed to hold it down or I'm supposed to do this again, learned behavior, or I'm supposed to um, take on a lot because they see maybe mom or the mother figure doing that. Yeah. And no, you don't have to. And we're going to work together to unlearn this and be able to process what is this emotion I feel before I make that action because they say like they do something and I'm like how come you did that Mm -hmm. I don't know you you do know let's take some time and really work through what exactly you were thinking or feeling before you decided to you know curse or yell at your friend or shut down and not do work in the classroom let's talk about um what that process looks like before you actually do it. And then things to change it when I'm working with the young people, mindfulness too. So it could be something as simple as pausing and breathing and thinking before you act or other times, you know, giving them communication skills. So how can you tell a friend or tell a peer that you don't like something and you would like them to change the way they interact with you? And what are you accountable for to changing changing how you interact with them so that the relationship can flow? Um, I do a lot with the youth to make them understand you cannot suffer in silence. Mm. Not, not on my watch. I won't yeah. allow you to suffer in silence. So I talk a lot with them about being aware of their needs and that is part of mindfulness and being able to self-advocate for themselves, whether it's academic or whether it's emotional or whether it's something that's happening outside of school that they need support with. And working as a school counselor, I realize it's not just me and the student, it's me working with my colleagues, the teachers, the leadership and staff and making them um, be more aware of how they interact with the students. Because sometimes they think, oh, that's just the counselor's job. No, we're a team. Totally. Um, and I'm so glad to be working in a space where we actually do embody um, teamwork. Um, and as a school counselor, I do my best to interact with families, not just on negative notes, so to speak, but just to share progress or just to check in with mom. You know, I had a parent disclose with me how the recent holidays a couple months ago were pretty difficult Mm. and me just checking in and saying you know how are you um I've noticed you know your child's been doing this well and these are some areas they can improve in has anything changed at home and building those relationships when they come in like the parents are able to we embrace each other with hugs it's not just a handshake or a wave because you know, we are a team, the families. Um, And same thing, I think that school counselors should be in the community. So I do my best to do different stuff, um, whether it's an initiative or just knowing like, oh, the police officer at the precinct around the corner, or oh, the guy who works at the store that all the kids, you know, buy chopped cheese from. So (laughs) those things are really important. And I think that when you as an adult are mindful and aware of your actions, the students, um, for me working in the school, are able to see, okay, 
that's what he or she is modeling. And I, I can work towards that. It is possible to unlearn those cycles. It is possible to work through um, the things that maybe I cannot change, but how to cope well through it, you know? Totally. And I mean, how powerful is it that these youth are getting these incredible tools of learning how to advocate for themselves learning mindfulness skills, learning coping skills at such an important age. I think that there's so many of us, myself included, none of these things come into play until we're way older. And mindfulness isn't something that you even understand what it is until you're an adult. So I think the fact that you're doing this work with that critical age group is really, really incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful to be even um, working with them um, because it's not just talking to them or at them. We're Mm -hmm. talking with one another and we're working together because I learned from them too. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. So if we have a listener who's maybe a parent uh, or who has a young person in their life, what are some ways you recommend introducing mindfulness to young people? Yes, yes. I do think as the adult, you should work towards being more Mm. self-aware. Like I just mentioned, maybe how you speak with the child or with that young person, Mm -hmm. Um, your tone, the level um being able to open up a safe space to have those uncomfortable conversations um that's super important uh how you cope with stress and anxiety the children really pick up on it yeah. um, i swear my kids are super honest sometimes they tell me a bit too much <laughs> but they're able to tell me what mom or dad or whomever they um stay with um do at home when they're upset the things they say. So they're like, you know, if if I'm upset and I see my parent cursing, upset in school, I'm going to curse, you know, and having to let them know, you know, that's not the way we um, can positively work through things because it doesn't add anything to the community or to yourself in the situation. Um, so being aware of how we react as adults, um, even when I'm upset with them, and it's not that I'm mad at them, it's just the action that they chose. I'm very mindful of even my facial facial expressions mm. because they pick up on everything. So yeah. you have to be aware of that. Um, also, when it comes to self-care, being mindful of how you take care of yourself. Certain situations you can't change. I understand that. But if, you know, you're always working being being conscious of okay have i can i make out time to spend time with my child maybe if it's literally only an hour they are looking forward to that hour where you two maybe do nothing but relax or spend time together or when they see that you're tired and exhausted do you say no and say action to appointments and whatnot or hanging out with other people does mom or dad or whomever I stay with, are they able to say no? Are they able to learn how to take a rest on Sundays or self-care Saturdays? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that's super important. Or letting them know, having those conversations like, hey, when um, when you're upset, you know, it's okay to go for a walk. Why don't we take walks together and talk about some of the things that's been that's been bothering us this week and how we can make better choices this week. Making an activity also paired with a conversation is super helpful. 
I love that. So really starting by being the model of of what you, what behavior you want to model for them, because young people are so smart. They're so smart. They are. They know what's up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're very they perceptive are, yes they are well aware um sometimes they can't put all the words together but mm-hmm. we, even us when we reflect and we think back you think about sometimes some of the things your parents said or did or other adults <laughs> and you're like that was not okay like, <laughs> you know they're really aware they are absolutely <laughs> absolutely so kind of going off of that talking about mental health for young people I recently read an article uh, basically stating that researchers found that for black youth and young adults, especially those living in poverty, they tend to express their depression differently from other groups. And the article was stating, and I'll make sure I post this in the show notes uh, for folks to read it if they're interested, that the common test used to diagnose depression is more effective at determining the mental state of white people because that's what it was developed to do. And that the signs it tests for are not effectively used to measure the mental health of others. And that it's most, most apparent that it's unable to measure kind of the, the state of mental wellness for black youth and young adults. So in your work, is this something that you have seen? And are there other signs of depression or mental health considerations that we should look for for ourselves, for those, you know, young people in our lives? And what does that look like? Absolutely. So I do want to make it clear that as a school counselor, I can't diagnose a child, Mm -hmm. but I can definitely say what I strongly think they may have. And then um, provide them to outside resources, like a psychologist, a psychiatrist who can actually give the diagnosis. Um, But I definitely see working in schools and I've worked in urban communities and suburban and um, a little bit of like a rural side too, especially when I was at Penn State. Um, (laughs) The students that are black and are of color, they're labeled way more negatively and not in a sense of diagnosis, but more so as, oh, that's a bad student. That's Mm -hmm. a defiant student. That's a lazy student. Um, And when you have those kind of characteristics and labels put on you, you kind of you kind of actually try to just live up to it because it's like they don't care about me anyway. I'm lazy. So I might as well not do anything. And I don't think all educators look behind that and say, wait, maybe something is going on. Mm -hmm. Like you said, depression could be happening. Anxiety could be happening. Some type of trauma could be happening. And it shows up in the classroom, especially especially for the students I work with, which are um, black and brown students, um, you know, being off task refusal to answer the question, whether it's just shut down or saying, I don't know, or maybe a bit argumentative, Um, you know, daydreaming. Sometimes we have the students who are actually active, so they may like walk out of the classroom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. They may, you know, avoid doing work by not going to class, or they may be silly and act out in the classroom and just, you know, want to do anything to avoid uh, what they may need to be doing. And sometimes as educators, you know, we're going back and forth with the student, which I don't think you should, but you're arguing with them and you're, you know, maybe talking a bit too loud to your colleague when you're expressing how you really feel about the student. And that is not okay. And I think that because we just 
focus a lot on the action and not the emotion behind the action. A lot of the times, um, like you said, there's a there's like a misconception of our black students. And it's just mm-hmm. like we miss the marker that really um, uh, that student could be depressed. Yeah. Really, that student could be avoiding the work because there's some type of anxiety. Really, that student has been having a t- tough transition at home something changed and nobody's looking into it because of that outward action Mm -hmm. um which for you as the educator disrupted your classroom or made it hard for you to teach um and again that's why it's so important that the school counselors super engaged with the teachers the leadership and the staff so that we can have those open conversations and you can feel comfortable to say hey you know little johnny i see that you're having a hard time right now why don't I call in Miss Clark, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> or would you like to go speak with her? Because, you know, I, this is not like you. And mm. letting also the scholars know that even if they had a hundred difficult days in one, like, fantastic day, letting them know I see th- th- who you are and I've seen your best self that one time. And I want to get back to that, but I see mm. that something's going on right now. So if you don't want to speak with me and hopefully, you know, your classroom's a safe space, why don't you go to that, um, to the counselor again? Um, I'm really open with not only just asking the teachers what's going on, I actually go inside the classrooms to observe and to support them and to see how the students are interacting and engaging with the, um, not only the academic work, but with their peers um, and being up to knowing what's going on outside of the classroom, even in their friendships um, yeah. and not only at home, maybe something happened in the community. Yeah. You know, what I really love about what you shared just now is really separating separating messaging from the behavior with the mm-hmm. child's identity, you know? Mm-hmm. If, yeah. if even if you're going through a hard time or there's a transition that doesn't that doesn't make you bad. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean mm-hmm. that doesn't reflect on who mm-hmm. you are so that so that the child doesn't carry that around with them because it's so easy to do even for adults to to carry around these labels that other people yeah. give us and i think that that's really really powerful yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and i do let my kids know that i'm not mad at them i'm disappointed with their actions mm-hmm. um, and I think using that kind of language and being mind, we have to be mindful of our language. Yeah. The, the students don't forget that. Children and young people don't forget that. Um, and even you don't forget that when, yep. you know, you have conversations with people and it may go a little left or get a little heated. You remember the things that they said mm-hmm. and you interpret it your own way and you internalize that. So oh, we wow. have to be really mindful. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I would love to transition now to talk a bit about safe spaces. And we touched on this a little bit earlier uh, when you were talking to us, especially about your time at at grad school at Penn State. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I would love to talk a little bit more about, one, the work you do to create safe spaces for black and brown women and youth through education, because I know that's a big part of what you do. And two, maybe on a more personal level, um, when you were at the PWI and you, you felt that need to kind of create safe spaces for yourself, what you did to do that and what that looked like for you. Because I think we have a lot of listeners who are in very similar situations where they feel 
they just feel like a lot of the spaces that they're in just don't fit. And I know I feel that way all the time and would love any perspective that, that you have. Absolutely. So I'd start off, I'm going to start off talking about something I've done in my professional work, and then I'll get to some personal about how I work towards finding safe spaces for myself. Yes. Um, through my work, uh, when I was particularly at Penn State, I went to PWI, so it was predominantly white, not only at the institution, but the surrounding community, the town, the neighborhood, the area. Yeah. Um, and I worked in a high school with the youth. And of course, I'm working for all students because that's what you have to do as a school counselor. And I was devoted to that. But at the school, I saw a particular need for a safe space for Black students and Brown students. Literally any any student who identified as anything other than white. Mm-hmm. Um, because of not only how the educators reacted to different things, but also how the community did or didn't react to certain things. So I decided to um, get a a collective group of students and um, they created, they called it this, the diversity club, but it was basically a safe space for the, again, students of different backgrounds. And we were able to have, a space where we talked, um, of course, um, it met once a week, but they were able to see me in my office beyond that. But we met once a week and we were able to have spaces of what it's like, you know, growing up as a black around student in that area or just, you know, what's been going on, having talks about what's going on at home, having talks about, you know, some of the trauma they've experienced, whether it's inside the school or outside the school, which is super important. And also letting them know they weren't alone. So I was able to work with the organization on campus of black and brown undergraduate students that were devoted to, you know, mentorship and education and an advancement of black and brown students. And they were able to have their own mentors. We paired them up and every week we did different activities. Um, Again, I talked earlier about um, advocating for self. So they were able to... um, voice some of their concerns about their school community mm-hmm. and write it up and send give it to the principal and um, a couple of them were able to talk to the school board about some of their um, concerns and I think that's a start to know that your voice matters it's super important um, to use use your voice. It's so, so, so important. And then also, it was also a space where they could learn more about um, different college and career choices. Again, we were in a high school, so that's important to see that the sky is not the limit. It's beyond that, right? Yeah. Um, so that's something I was able to do for Black and Brown brown youth. And I think when it comes to, because I'm sitting here thinking, like, have I organized a particular thing for Black um, women and girls? Um I think it's sometimes it's just so organic mm-hmm. where it's just you coming together with your sister friends and just you carving out time to have a space to cry, laugh and yeah. just communicate. I think that's so important. For example, when I was in grad school and even now in my, you know, adulting life and <laughs> my professional career, um, I made sure to especially being in a program where it was limited people who look similar like me, mm-hmm. I made sure to, you know, connect with the other um, black girl in the program to connect with the other um, uh, Latin girl in the program, because I was just like, we have to be here for a couple years. 
and we 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 need support with one another. And this is, of course, before getting to really dive deep into building other kinds of relationships. But for me, yeah. I think it's very important as a black woman to have another black woman friend or another woman of color friend. That's super important. So that was my tribe. And at that point, I was able to connect with other black women who were getting um, graduate degrees. I was able to connect with um some of the black women undergraduate students who were doing amazing things on campus and being leaders. And I think our bond grew because it was just like, I see you and I see me and you. Does that make mm, sense? I like that. I'm yes. looking, yeah, I'm looking at you and I see some of me and vice versa. And I think that that was beautiful. And sisterhood is something that I, you know, hold dear to my heart, mm-hmm. um, even before Spelman, but Spelman definitely emphasized it. So I'm super happy to con- just continue that in all the work that I do. And I think that if for you, meaning a listener, even you less, like yeah. if you're like, I need more safe spaces. I do. <laughs> right. That's why I created this podcast. <laughs> and it's so wonderful. It's so amazing to be able to see you doing your thing as a black woman and also creating a safe space for other women who identify as black and as of color. It's a beautiful thing. Um, And I think that if you're, you know, navigating through your life, maybe connecting with someone else at work who identifies similar to you Mm -hmm. and having that person where, you know, if you just need a deep breather, you can, you know, squeeze his or her hand or whomever they are and having that space or having those conversations about work that you do need to be transparent about. Yeah. Have it with that person and knowing that it's a safe space, maybe getting you and your friends together, whether it's at your home, their home, or at a certain location or event where you could just be free. Mm -hmm. You take off your mask and you, you know, let your hair down, so to speak, and you're just free. Yes. And, you're not putting yourself in any boxes. You're not, you know, trying to be closed off, just being open and honest. And that that's good for your wellness. That's good for your mental health yes. to have those spaces and also being a safe space within at your core. So having time for yourself where you're honest and open with yourself and figuring out how can you continue to create the life that you want for yourself and In order to reach our goals and fulfill our dreams, we have to be in a safe space, so to speak. You're not Mm -hmm. able to thrive if you're full of angst and worry. You have to be able to break through and, you know, be open and be honest with yourself so that you can, you know, like I said, thrive and elevate. Nikenji, I don't know how we're just now getting to know each other, but (laughs) you are just, (laughs) you're giving me so much life right now. I think that that was such a beautiful answer. And that was such, that that advice was just, it was perfect. So thank you for that. Thank you so much, Les. I know, I'm kind of sad that you're in Seattle and I'm in New York City. So I know we have to talk outside of this. We do. We do. I'm like, I need to make an East Coast trip because there's several Hi. women that I've interviewed on the podcast who are all on the East Coast. And I'm like, I need to go over there. I need to hit up New York. I need to hit up DC. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. just, there's a lot of balanced black girls out there that I need to connect with in real life. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, 
So one other thing that I wanted to talk to you about, and you actually touched on a little bit in the answer, and I'd love to to dive deeper, is about wellness, because you did just mm-hmm. now kind of touch on the importance of community, but also reflecting for the self um, and how important that is for our wellness and self-care. And mm-hmm. I know that you promote the importance of self-care through the eight dimensions of wellness. So yes. can you walk us through what those are and how we can apply that to our lives? Absolutely. I actually um, presented at a conference uh, in February. Was it February? Well, earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Um, everything blurs together. I swear it's, I'm so true. busy sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but I talked about self-care and the importance of it and how it connects to the eight dimensions of wellness. Um, so I'm just going to briefly go over the eight dimensions and a little bit how I work with um, whether it's clients or just other people I'm working with in a space to kind of help them self-reflect and dive deep into it. So the first one is environmental wellness. So that's just, again, feeling safe. Are you in a safe space? Are your um, needs being met, so to speak, like water, food, shelter, are those things being met? Um, intellectual. So that's learning knowledge and pouring knowledge into others, being able to intellectually dive into those cognitive needs. Um, Physical, not only eating good and working out, but do you have health care? Is your body, you know, well? Is there something that needs to be, you know, healed or fixed? That's really important. Um, Occupational, not only employment, but also having a sense of purpose and being involved in maybe different activities and whatnot, a hobby. Um, That's super important. Spiritual. So not only organized religion, but what brings you peace? Mm. What brings you balance? No pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) What, you know, what gets your, your insides um, vibrating and at higher frequencies, social. So your relationship with, friends, family, co-workers, the community, um, and just people in general, um, financial. And it's not about, you know, making the most money, but are your needs being met? Do you yeah. have a healthy relationship with money? Um, and we can always back deeper into that. But do you have a healthy relationship with money? Are your needs being met? Um, is finances a stress for you? Are finances something that maybe you avoid? That's something to work on. Mm -hmm. And then emotional and mental, um, being able to cope with stress, stress and traumatic life experiences, resiliency. And also, like I said, working with students, but being able to address and express your feelings and emotions. That's super important. So when I'm working with clients or different people and we talk about like self-reflection when it comes to these eight dimensions, I usually like to work with a SWOT analysis. Mm -hmm. So we talk about what's your strengths in that area. So, for example, let's do social. Your strengths with social could be, oh, I have a lot of friends. We have good times. I enjoy being around them most of the time. What are your weaknesses in that area? So that's the W. Um, Maybe some of your weaknesses is that you don't know how to say no to a good time. You don't know how to tell your friends, actually, I can't go out this weekend because of X, Y, and Z. Or maybe when you try to share that, you're shut down or you feel like you have to explain yourself. Um, Okay. 
And then opportunities open to you. If you do have a lot of friends, you have the opportunity that, okay, maybe I could communicate with them this Sunday when we meet up and let them know how I've been feeling. Because usually I'm able to express my emotions to them. And some of the threats you will have to face, which is the T, is that maybe my friends won't really understand. Or maybe they might make me feel bad for not wanting to hang out, you know, every week. Mm -hmm. Um, And make me have to kind of explain why I don't want to when you shouldn't have to. They should just understand, hey, guys, like, I'm, you know, just burnt out. Or, hey, guys, I'm really trying to save up and us going out all the time. Maybe we could just hang hang out at my house, you know. And so working with people to assess their strengths, their weaknesses, opportunities that are open to them and threats they may face in each area. And so when... People think about the concept of self-care. Sometimes they think like bubble baths and deep breathing and meditation. And it's it's beyond that. Mm -hmm. Um, Self-care is making sure you are whole and your core as well. And pouring into yourself also means self-discipline and doing things that you need to do and learning how to prioritize and organize. So some of your priorities um, is paying rent, then your financial wellness will decline if you're not organizing your money and not budgeting your money and then what your then your environmental needs are not met why because now you're homeless because you yep. cannot pay rent mm-hmm. so it all like intertwines together and you have to be again honest with yourself that hey I may have a lot on my plate and it's kind of hard to figure out how to take care of myself and now my wellness is declining and that's when you have to literally pause be still and have a moment with yourself to self-reflect. Mm. Oh, I I love everything about that. And I think I think self-reflection is just at the core of wellness and self-care and it's something that can be easy to miss because sometimes self-reflection can be kind of scary if you're yes. not used to checking in with yourself. It can be scary to to kind of face what the real answers are but it's so important yes yes yes. and that's why if you have a a qualified mental health professional you don't you don't have to do this alone so sometimes your support system is not enough sometimes your spiritual guider is not enough Mm -hmm. and you need a qualified mental health professional and again in the black community we have to do away with that stigma because there's nothing wrong with getting extra support in fact their quality of life improves when you have extra support and Mm -hmm. you know that um you're able to do this and you have a community or tribe that's rooting for you so if you have anything that you need support with like it's okay to get a counselor and it doesn't have to be something traumatic that happens Mm -hmm. like you know tragedy strikes it could just literally be you know I'm transitioning into another job and I've realized that you know my anxiety levels are going up a little bit I'm feeling you know more worried now in days about you know how am I going to thrive in this new space maybe talking with someone will help me work through it of course other things may come up that you kind of pushed away but simple things like that could just introduce you into going to a counselor. And it really, like I said, it improves your quality of life. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm so glad that you said that. So what does your personal self-care practice look like? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, it's a little bit of, of everything. <laughs> um, 
literally like it could be as simple as um doing meditation Mm -hmm. um giving myself reminders whether it's to breathe or whether to affirm myself then you know just the simple stuff like that sometimes I need a bubble bath like Mm -hmm. I need more aromatherapy that's something I've been (laughs) thinking about I gotta schedule time to go to the store and get some more of that and my self-care is also uncomfortable um for example with finances um I'm getting better but in the past my relationship with finances was not the healthiest like it was scary a little bit and I had to address that I was like you know my wellness financially is not doing well right now because I'm doing a bit of avoidance Mm. and how can I work through this so me prioritizing as part of self-care making um a monthly or bi-weekly or weekly budget that has improved my wellness and I feel better because I'm less stressed out about um, finances. Some of my self-care also includes saying no. Mm -hmm. That's why I use the social example. I've learned to say no and not feel bad. I used to feel terrible. Like, oh my gosh, I know my friend so-and-so is going to be so upset. Let me just like hang out with them knowing I had a long week or a long day. And it's just like sometimes You have to say no, not explain, and go home and just rest. Mm -hmm. And that is okay. Yeah. That is okay. Yeah. What else do I do for self-care? I try to exercise two to four times a week. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely am mindful of my eating just because I realize I feel different after I eat certain certain foods. Mm -hmm. So it's not only like I want to look great, summer 2019 body coming through, (laughs) okay? (laughs) (laughs) But it's also like, you know, I literally ordered Chinese food two nights in a row and now I feel sluggish Mm -hmm. at work opposed to when I decided to, you know, make my veggie burger and eat a salad with it. I'm aware of that and I'm Mm -hmm. mindful of that. So I'm just like, you know what? I have to be more conscious of my eating habits. That's self-care, knowing that my body will not thrive and I will not do my best at work because I'm, you know, eating fast food all the time, you know, stuff like that. So I definitely do other things as well, like writing, reading. Um, If you see on some of my social media, um, I just don't write um, or post feel goods. It's actually me doing that work. And then I'm just sharing my process with others. Mm -hmm. And I love that everything about that kind of going back to the last point we were talking about, everything about your own personal self-care is still rooted in Mm self-awareness, all of it. Mm -hmm. And I just, I love that because it's so, so important of checking in with yourself of what do I need right now? Oh, I noticed my body feels this way in Mm -hmm. this moment. So I'm going Mm -hmm. to make adjustments. I think oftentimes people look for one solution for wellness of I just do this one thing and I do it forever and that's how I'm healthy. And it just doesn't, Mm -hmm. it doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're so right, Les. You're so right. It's not um, one size fit all. And sometimes you even have to make adjustments Mm -hmm. when life changes. Yep. Sometimes you got to change and go with the flow as well, you know? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. All right. So my last question, which is always my favorite question to ask, Mm -hmm. what does being a balanced Black girl mean to you? 
Yes, I was thinking about this question. I'm just like, what does it mean to me? And after spending some quiet time and just letting that question and the answer flow, um, being a balanced Black girl means being true to self. Mm. Uh, you, You can't be fronting on yourself. You can't lie to yourself. You have to be honest. So being true to self and pouring into your core. When your core is being fed and filled, then there's more balance that flows from it. Um, And being unapologetic about that. You shouldn't be ashamed that you're growing and that you're rising higher and connecting with other people who want to do the same thing, that it's okay. Um, A balanced Black girl definitely embraces being empowered and just embraces her light and doing whatever makes her happy in that moment. And, you know, it's not one look. It's not one face. Um, we we come in all different shapes and sizes, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> so it's okay to embody your own version of what a balanced Black girl is and what it means to you. Ugh, yes. Love that answer. And that's why I love asking asking my guests because everybody has their own version of it and every I mean there's no such thing as like a right answer or a right way to do it or a right way to be it and that's the beautiful thing about it yeah yeah and you have to be okay with that Mm -hmm. um you were created the way you are for a reason and you're just as much as valuable as anyone else so it's okay yes exactly Nikenji, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I loved this conversation. Absolutely. You gave me the feels, Les. Like, I cannot (laughs) wait till you come to the East Coast and we just spend time together and with other balanced Black girls who are doing their thing. Yes, we're doing it. We're doing it. We're going to make it happen. Yes. How can our audience keep in touch with you? Yeah, so like we found each other on Twitter. So my Twitter <laughs> handle is Kenji Kamali. So K E N J I K A H M A L I. And that's on Twitter. And then on Instagram, it's the same thing, just two underscores in the front. Perfect. Two underscores in the front, and then Kenji Kamali. Love it. And I'll make sure we have that linked in the show notes because I'm Absolutely. sure our audience is going to want to follow you with all the gems you just dropped for us today. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Lef. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. It just flowed. Thank you. Me too. Thank you so much for coming on the show. 